going to look at an entire book in the Bible and finish by Thursday. And, uh, <laughs> um, but we're going to take 25 minutes, something like that, just looking at this book. And uh, my, my prayer is that it will land well on every person, regardless of what you think about God. There are incredible life lessons in this woman who, who lived uh, around 450 BC and things that will be applied to our lives. So let me just pray and then we'll look at this together. Lord, we love you. I thank you so much, God, for being you. Thank you so much. You're not a fairy tale. You're not a cultural entity. You're not make-believe. You're not pie in the sky. You're alive. And God, you've done stuff in my life that blows my mind. You don't give up on me. You don't treat me like I deserve. You're so faithful. You're so loving. You're so gracious. You're so good. You're so holy. You're so powerful. And yet you are so my God. And this morning, Lord, I pray for every person in this room, whatever they think about you, I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd speak to our hearts and that all of us would leave here differently to the way we walked in because we've heard you speak into our lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I was sent this joke by someone this week. It's not one of my own, so you can judge it as you wish. Um, but it's a joke about a, a lady uh, or a policeman who was a traffic policeman on the M11 and he was looking to catch people who were speeding. And as he was on this bridge, he saw this car spluttering along at 11 miles an hour along the M11. And, and he sees this car and he thinks that's as dangerous as someone speeding. And so he jumps in his car, chases this down, which obviously wasn't a long chase. And as he gets to the car, as he pulled it over, he goes in and there's five elderly women in the car, all looking absolutely petrified. And he goes along and says to them, do you not realize how fast you were driving? And the driver looks at him really proudly and says, yes, I was going at 11 miles an hour. And he said, do you not, why are you going 11 miles an hour? He said, because this is the M11. And, and he said to her, okay, well, I'm going to have to give you a ticket for, for being uh, poor driving. He said, but why are the other ladies looking so petrified? He said, because we've just come out of the A120. I love that joke. It's a joke all about learning lessons. She needed to learn the lesson of how to drive. And this morning, we're going to learn lessons from this life of this incredible woman of God called Esther. And this will land differently to the way wherever you're at in this room. Maybe you're here, you've got no faith or you've got another faith. You are so welcome here. We're not here to Bible bash you, manipulate you. We're here to celebrate you and to say you're so welcome to be part of this morning. Maybe you're here to celebrate this wonderful new life and uh, to join with the family that you're very welcome here. But my prayer is that when you think about these things, you think, flipping heck, if that was true, I'd have been just as excited about it like those other people were. It suddenly makes a bit of sense. But maybe you're here and you will call yourself a Christian. And I want to ask yourself, I want to ask you, how are you walking with God? Are you making your life count for him? And there are lessons from Esther for all of us who would call ourselves Christians individually. There are also lessons from this book of Esther for us as a church family here. This church, this book is going to speak prophetically into exactly where we're at as we're stepping into this new season. And then fourthly, but finally, and not least at all, this is my prayer for little Esther. These six things that we're going to look at from this book, and we're going to look at them quickly, but six lessons from this book of Esther that I want to turn into a prayer for this little girl. 
Esther lived, as I said, about 450 BC. The context is this. Around 150 years before this, God's people for generations had stuck two fingers up to him, gone their own way, given up on him. So he took a step back and they were totally defeated by the Babylonians. Jerusalem was destroyed, temple destroyed, and the Jews were taken off as prisoners of war into exile into Babylon. And around 50 years, they were in exile. No hope, totally destroyed homes, and the temple was gone. Then in 539 BC, the Persian Empire rose up and defeated the Babylonians. And the first year that they had defeated them, the king of Persia signed an edict allowing the Jews to return to Jerusalem and to start to rebuild the city and the temple. So there's a book in the Bible called Ezra and other books that document that when some of the Jews returned to Jerusalem to begin to rebuild the temple. Esther is about 70 years after that that we come to the book of Esther. Jerusalem, the temple's been rebuilt, the walls haven't been rebuilt, and many of the Jews are still living in exile. They're still prisoners of war. They're still dominated and conquered by a foreign country called Persia, who have this incredible empire. And this story is set in one of the capitals of Persia called Susa. Um, and, And basically, Esther is living in this city. She's been, uh, she was born, and, uh, which is a helpful way to start the story. Uh, she was born, and, but sadly she was orphaned at a young age. And one of her cousins called Mordecai brought her up. She was incredibly physically attractive, Esther was. And what happens, we see as we read the book of Esther, is that the king of Persia gets rid of his first wife and wants a second wife. And Esther wins the beauty contest, and she becomes queen of Persia. And the context before we begin to look at the lessons, there are two or three things you need to understand. The first thing is this, God's people are slaves, completely dominated by a foreign land. Second thing is Esther is queen. The third thing is Mordecai has risen up within the courts and plays a role within the government, as it were, although he still is viewed with suspicion as a Jew. Then the fourth thing is there's a guy called Haman. Haman was like the prime minister of the day. And this Haman has a bit of a run-in with Mordecai and hates his guts. But he doesn't just hate Mordecai, he takes it to the next level and wants to completely destroy all the Jewish people. And the context is this, the king has agreed that in one year's time, they will massacre every Jew in the kingdom. And so the context of Esther is one of hopelessness, brokenness, and in the natural, everything seems lost. The Jewish nation, we're in a sense a dead people walking. And then we come into the story of Esther. And we read in chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, these are the verses just to give the context. When Mordecai, this is when he's heard, he's heard about the signing of this edict, because the edict cannot be revoked, it's been signed by the king. It says this, when Mordecai learned all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, went out into the, mid, uh, into the mid, uh, mindset of the city, cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree to kill all the Jews reached, there was great mourning among the Jews. With fasting and weeping and lamenting, many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. So here is the context of this story. 
of this incredible woman called Esther, who rose up to be used by God to save the day. They were in this totally hopeless situation. And so it's a book all about how do we respond to the brokenness of life? How can we keep going when everything seems lost? How can we be used by God when we're overwhelmed by fear and any way forward seems impossible? And maybe you're here this morning, and if you're honest, you're in a situation where unless God breaks in, nothing is going to happen. You're just in that moment where actually, unless God breaks into this, in the natural, we're lost. And that's the situation Esther is in. So we can look at six things. You guys still with me? Good. There's three of you. We'll keep going. Six things from the life of Esther that we can learn. And these are life lessons for us. Whatever you think about God, this is good stuff for you to learn too. Six lessons. The first lesson is this. Esther lived for a cause greater than herself. In the midst of this context of brokenness and hopelessness, Mordecai goes to Esther and says, we need your help. And he says to her, who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. He's saying to Esther, Esther, there's a cause to be lived for greater than yourself. Oh, you're in the palace. You've got all the comfort. You've got all the joys of riches. You're okay in yourself. But there's a cause that is far greater than just you. And something dripped into Esther's heart that changed the story at this point. She passionately, wholeheartedly gave herself to save the Jewish people from being wiped out. Suddenly in this moment, a sense of destiny gripped her. And God is saying over us this morning, you have come to Grantham for such a time as this. I'm not spinning this. I'm not manipulating this. This is a fact. The sovereign king has destined you and I to live in this incredible town called Grantham for such a time as this. We we need to take our eyes just off ourselves. There's a cause greater than ourselves here. Guys, I'm talking primarily to Christians here. We need to take ourselves off our pity parties, over our little, any issues that we just focused on, and say, actually, there's a cause far greater than me, myself, and I, and his name is Jesus. And we need to rise up in that sense of, God, there's a destiny over my life. There's a purpose over my life. And when I see you face to face, I don't think you're going to be massively impressed for everything I may have achieved if you weren't part of it. It doesn't matter how big your house is, how incredible your car is, how many holidays you've had, how great your life is. There's nothing wrong with those things. What I'm saying is Jesus at the center of them. And if we really believe this, if you're a Christian and you say you believe this, how can you live for a cause than anything other than Jesus Christ? Does he dominate everything for you? And that's what happened with Esther. Something gripped her and she suddenly saw there was a cause to live for that was greater than herself. And maybe there's people here, you need to just be shaken up and realize there's more than your personal comfort to live for. There's a king and a kingdom, an adventure to be had in Jesus. There's a cause that's greater than yourself. Rick Warren says this, if you're alive... There's a purpose for your life. Ravi Zacharias put it this way. There's no greater discovery than seeing God as the author of your destiny. Something gripped Esther in that moment that said to her, there's something far greater than just me at stake in the universe. And she ran 
into all that God has for her. He, she lived for a cause greater than herself. Secondly, Esther courageously stepped out in faith. I love this. She didn't just grasp the destiny. She stepped into it too. She didn't spend years talking about it, praying about it, debating about it, thinking about it. She stepped into what God was asking her to do. She actively trusted God. She knew the dangers. She says to Mordecai, look, if I go to the king, anyone who goes to the king without being asked to go will be put to death unless he holds out his golden scepter. She knew the dangers she faced stepping out to be used by God in this moment in time. But because the cause was greater for her than herself, she stepped courageously into it. And she, if you read the story, she knew she needed God's help. She says to Mordecai, call all the people in the city to fast and pray, that would mean, for three days. And I'm going to pray and fast for three days. In this moment, I'm going to do all that I can just to throw myself onto God because I need his help, I need his strength, I need his grace. She flung herself onto God, but then she stepped out by faith and went to see the king. And she was standing in front of the king, and in that moment, she didn't know what was going to happen. He could have ordered for her to be executed. That could have been the end of it. And yet she stepped out in faith and the king welcomed her in. It's a massive challenge for me and for you if you would regard yourself as a Christian. Is there enough evidence in your life for you to be convicted as someone who has courageous faith in Jesus? Is your life, uh, is my life no different to my mates who don't yet know him? Or are you stepping out in faith saying, no, this is, because he is who he says he is, everything is his. And I want to give my life to him. And I want to step out for him. How courageous are we being? Nelson Mandela once said this, I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. The prophet Steve Jobs That's a joke, by the way, but a very clever guy. The founder of Apple put it this way. Your time is limited. Don't waste it living someone else's life. Don't be trapped by dogma, which is living with the results of other people's thinking. Don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your own inner voice. And most important, have the courage to follow your heart and intuition. She stepped out in courage. I find that incredible. And maybe that's the challenge for us as a church as we step into this new season and go to services. It's going to take courage. It's going to take a sense of we're here for a cause greater than us. Believe me, it's going to be more work for me. But I'm not here for me. I'm here for the 44,000 who don't yet know Jesus. I'm here for my mates who I long to know him. Not out of some religious duty, but because he's the greatest person I've ever had the honor to know and walk with. And he's magnificent and he's beautiful and he's glorious and he's love. And I adore him and I walk with him and I enjoy him. And when you've tasted God's love, you can't help but long for others to know him too. And when there's something of the cause of Jesus in your life, your own little focus on yourself gets ripped apart. And you say, I'm not here for my career. I'm not here for my bank balance. I'm not here for this. I'm here for God and for his kingdom. Nothing wrong with the career. Nothing wrong with the bank balance. Nothing wrong with all that. Don't mishear me. But it means in every situation, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And that takes courage. So let's run into this new season with courage.
Third lesson, I'm trying to speed up a bit, is wisdom and, and discernment. And, and read the story. It's incredible. So what happens is that when, um, when Esther has, has been welcomed into the king's um, presence, she asks the king and Haman to come for a feast. And they have a right knees up. And whether it's the quality of the food or the effects of the wine, we don't know. But at the end, the king says to her, in effect, ask me anything and I'll give it to you. And when you read the story, you think, well, surely this is the moment Esther's going to say, save the Jews, save my people. But in this moment, for whatever reason, we're not told why, but I want to suggest it was, there was a nudge of something in her heart that she knew the timing was not right. And so she says to him, well, could you come back, king and Haman, come back tomorrow for another feast? Something in her heart discerned the timing was not right. And so she said, come back in 24 hours' time. And when you read the story, you see why the timing was not right. What happened overnight was this. The king couldn't sleep. Oh, sorry, I've completely missed up a part of the story. Part of the story was Mordecai overheard a plot to kill the king's life. And basically, he reported the plot to the king and saved his life. This was years before. And it was written in what was called the Chronicles of the King, like a journal the king wrote about how amazing he was. <laughs> and so it was written in this book. And the, the, night that, the, the night that Esther had said, we'll meet tomorrow, the king said, I can't sleep. Bring me my journal so I can read how great I am. And it just happened that he opened the journal on the story of how Mordecai had saved his life. And then he realized and thought, flipping heck, I haven't, I haven't rewarded this guy. I haven't honored this man who saved my life. So right there, right then, he gets Mordecai out, gives him royal robes, a royal horse, and he gets Haman, who had built a gallows in which to kill Mordecai. He gets him to actually lead Mordecai across the city and honor him. It's massive. What a difference a day makes. Something nudged Esther's heart. The timing wasn't right. She didn't have a clue any of that was happening. But then suddenly Haman and the king turn up at hers for this feast. Maybe it was the food, maybe it was the wine. Same question at the end. What can I do for you, Esther? Then she knew the timing was right. And she said, my people are about to be destroyed. And she pleads for him and the king, um, basically, to cut a long story short, he kills um, um, Haman and and then offers uh, Mordecai to become prime minister. And then an edict is sent out that the Jews can defend themselves. And the Jews defend themselves and are saved. But in this moment, can you see the wisdom and discernment of Esther? And I pray that over us as we walk with Jesus, there'll be a wisdom and discernment to know how to walk with him. Fourth thing, the legacy of life, joy, and gladness. When you read the story of Esther, you see this people that had been broken and hopeless and mourning were actually transformed into people of joy and gladness and honor. And that was the legacy of her life. What do you want the legacy of your life to be? What do you want people to remember your life for? Esther's remembered as someone who brought life and joy and gladness into other people's lives around them. I want my life to be like that. I don't know about you. I want my life to be a a life that people look back on and say, well, he loved people. He tried his best, bless him. (laughs) But he loved Jesus. He loved people. And he encouraged people to keep going when they wanted to quit. Some people walk into a room and suck the joy out of them. If you're like that and you're a Christian, shame on you. You're filled with the joy of God. How can we enter any situation and not speak the life and the light and the joy of God into that? 
Watch how you speak about people behind their backs. Watch how you speak about people to their faces. We need to be people who build each other up, who speak life over one another and cheer each other on. Everyone should applaud that, whether you believe in God or not. Because I tell you what, that would transform the world if we bigged each other up rather pulled each other down. Fifth thing. I told you I'm going quick. It's my present to little Esther, who's left, but I won't take it personally. And this is really important. This is what really the book of Esther is about. Esther experienced the sovereign grace of the at times hidden God. This is so important to see. And please read the book when you get time because it's all over the place. When you read this and you see this, because it's interesting, Esther is the only book in the Bible along with the Song of Solomon, the Song of Songs. It's the only book where God is not explicitly mentioned by name. And yet God dominates everything. And, and the name Esther, at its root, means hidden. And there's this sense in this book that through all that's happening, stuff happens behind the scenes, which can only really be explained either by luck, if that's how you want to explain it, or by a sovereign God. Let me just explain what I mean. There's just loads of things that happen at the right place, at the right time, with the right person. So Esther just happened to be Jewish, happened to be beautiful. Esther just happened to be favoured by the king. Mordecai just happened to overhear a plot and save the king's life. And that just happened to be written in the book of the Chronicles of Kings. Haman just happened to notice Mordecai and happened to find out he was a Jew. This edict that was signed to kill the Jews just happened to be given a year in advance, giving them time to save themselves. Esther just happened to get the king's approval to become queen. Esther just happened to wait 24 hours before asking the king, in which time the king was able to not sleep very well, get a book, just happened to pull out this huge book and just happened to fall upon the story of Mordecai, who just happened to be nearby enough so that he could be honoured and celebrated around the streets, who just happened then... The king and Haman just happened to be coming to a feast to Esther's the next day. It just happened. just happened so much that the Jewish people remember this, get the Feast of Purim every year since. just happened. And you can explain that by luck. Or you can explain that as the sovereign grace of God working behind the scenes. See, there's Esther wondering what on earth is going to happen going to bed at night thinking, flipping it, we're lost, but I've got a sense that I've got to wait. And that same night, the king can't sleep, and God's at work flicking that page to Mordecai. The hidden hand of God on our lives. And this is what it means to walk with Jesus. Life sucks at times. It's broken. It's messed up. We live in a fallen world. But we walk through it, through the ups and the downs, knowing there's a hand bigger than ours on our lives. And there's a verse in the book of Romans that is just such a wonderful truth to cling to, where Paul says this, We know for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Even in the injustice, in the brokenness, in our questioning, in our doubts, the sovereign grace of God is working. To bring something good out of which was meant for evil. It's what we see in the book of Esther. And maybe there's people here this morning, you need to come back to this truth. We're not saying life's going to be great and awesome and easy. 
What I'm saying is there's a great and awesome God and there's an ease of grace that he wants you to carry. Uh, People I've met and walked with who have suffered horrendously in life do so with a joy in their heart that puts me to shame. And it's not because they're naturally happy. It's because God is meeting them in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death. And this isn't a fairy tale or a mantra. This is a living walk with a living God. That even when life falls apart, they can stand strong on the inside because God is there with them. This is the truth of the gospel. This is what it means to be a Christian. It means to walk with a king and a God who's bigger than, like we've sung, he's greater than, he's more than, he's the healer, he's the redeemer. And maybe there's people here this morning and you need to come back to this truth of the hand of the at times hidden God. He's never mentioned in the book of Esther, but he's all over it. And he's all over your life too. And I look at my life, man alive, there are things that I look back on, decisions I made. I'm just bonkers decisions. I remember when I was 20, everything in my life was football. Everything. I was, I was relatively good at it. The injured my knee twice, so I can never play again. Went on an all-day bender. Just got absolutely legless. Went to church that evening, hammered. And this lovely, godly guy, this vicar, came out to me and didn't reject me, didn't judge me, didn't give up on me, but told me about a God who loved me and was greater than even my love for football. And when I look back at things like that, just that moment, if that guy had just treated me in a way that, sadly, some so-called Christians treat people, I could have given up on the whole thing. And yet God met me, and he held me, and he encouraged me. And it's the hidden hand of the sovereign grace of God. And many of us will have stories to tell like that. And the final lesson, and this is where we're coming to land, is that Esther points to Jesus. I love this. You see, Esther points us to the greatest saviour anyone could ever have, and his name is Jesus. Esther saved people for a moment. Jesus wants to save us for eternity. You see, Jesus came and he lived a life and died a death full of divine destiny and purpose. This wasn't an accident. It was destined. He didn't meander through life. It wasn't as if, well, I'll just see what I'll do. There was a divine purpose. And the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He loves you. And he sent his son 2,000 years ago on a mission for you personally. Not as an accident, but as a purpose and as a destiny. And he came and he lived a perfect life. And, and on that cross, he, he took all the stuff that disconnects us from knowing God personally. All our sin, our shame and our punishment was dealt with forever on Jesus. And when you read the Bible, it says he cries out, it is finished. That means it is dealt with, it is done, it is paid for. And simply by having faith that your sin was dealt with and asking God, Jesus to be your Lord, you are eternally forgiven, eternally accepted. And the greatest thing is you eternally enter into an incredible relationship with an incredible God. That's what the Christian faith is, not a religion, it's a relationship. And Jesus came and lived a life full of destiny and purpose. He lived courageously, full of wisdom and discernment. He brought teaching that people still talk about today, even if they're not Christians, that that human rights are based on, even in our law courts today, on the teaching of Jesus. 
And even the most broken and desperate moment, God was wonderfully at work. When he hung on that cross, people laughed, people mocked, people jeered and said, oh, he can't save himself. But in that moment, the hidden God was at work and grace was being achieved. His hand was there, even in the hiddenness of the cross. And in the midst of apparent defeat and hopelessness, he brought victory and grace. Philip Yancey puts it this way, love was compressed for all history in that lonely figure on the cross who said that he could call down angels at any moment on a rescue mission, but chose not to because of us. At Calvary, God accepted his own unbreakable terms of justice. This is love, this is grace, this is Jesus. This is who I live for. I don't live for religion, don't live for church, I live for the king. And I want you to know him. He's transformed my life. He's transformed many people's lives in this place. And he wants you to know him personally. And so when we look at Esther, six lessons. It's my prayer for her. She's not here, but I'm praying she hears this, maybe through the speaker. (laughs) Esther, know that you've been born for such a time as this. Esther, live courageously for Jesus. Don't let cynicism of others rob you of a big vision for Christ. Esther, live with wisdom and discernment through the Holy Spirit. Esther, leave a legacy of life, joy, and gladness. Esther, have confidence in the sovereign hand of the at times hidden God upon your life. And Esther, point people to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for being you. And Lord, I pray we'd learn from Esther, we'd live lives, whatever we feel about you or believe about you, we'd live lives that make others' lives better. That we'd be people of love and joy and peace. And so God, we love you and we lay this at your feet and pray your kingdom come in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.